Bob Dylan sang the song, You Gotta Serve Somebody. And that's exactly what we're looking at today in Romans chapter 6. You gotta serve somebody. Who are you serving? Let's talk about that next here on Graceful Truth. Join us. The radio ministry of Grace Bible Church in Redwood City, this is Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse. Hi there, welcome and join us. We're in Romans chapter six, verses 18 through 23. You gotta serve somebody. And to win over sin, give yourself as a slave to righteousness in view of your spiritual past, present, and future is what we're focusing in on today. Won't you join us? As we take a look at Romans 6, it's our hope and prayer that you come away with a clear understanding of who you're serving, why you're serving him, and the joy that's found in that service. Here's Pastor Steve Converse now with today's program. Okay, you can't have your your foot be a slave of sin and be a slave to Christ. It doesn't work that way. Jesus taught that. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, no one can serve what? Two masters, basic understanding. For either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve. In this case, he's talking about God and money. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 and 14, Jesus said there's only two gates. Only two gates. The narrow gate that leads to life, the broad gate that leads to destruction. A little later on in chapter 7, Matthew, he says there's two types of trees. There's a good tree that bears good fruit, and there's a bad tree that bears bad fruit. He goes on in chapter 7. He says there are two kinds of builders. They build two kinds of houses. The wise builder builds on the rock. The foolish builder builds on the sand. The wise builder represents those who hear Jesus' words and obey them. The foolish builder hears Jesus' words, but they do not obey them. Jesus never said, and there's this kind of builder in between, you know. He, he does good on the foundations, but boy, his, his work above ground is just hard. No, he said there's, there's one or the other. There's not a tree that's in between the good and the bad. There's not a third path. There's not a third gate. And you can simply tell who a person serves, beloved, by his behavior, by his actions. Because those who live in sin are slaves to sin. Those who live in obedience are slaves of Jesus Christ. Those who are the slaves of sin are not under God's grace. And they're heading for eternal death, eternal hell, eternal destruction, eternal judgment. Those who are slaves of Christ have tasted of his grace. They've grown in righteousness. They're heading for eternal life. You have to ask yourself this question. Are you a slave of sin or are you a slave of Christ? Or how does a person move from being a slave of sin to being a slave to God or a slave of righteousness? One who comes to God through Christ and says this, I take you as my Savior, my Master, and my Lord. He's not only ethically bound, but he's also recreated so that he can obey. In other words, it's not us saying, 
oh, okay, let's see, you know, Buddha or Christ. I think I'll choose, I'll, I'll choose Christ, you know, okay. So what do I do now? I commit my life. Okay, yeah, Jesus, I commit my life. And boy, I've made this wonderful commitment to Christ. And, and now I've got to live by this new, these new rules and whatever. That's not what he's saying. That's not what he's talking about here. He's saying because you're a slave to righteousness, okay, this is, this is what you have to do. You're, you're recreated to be a slave to righteousness. This isn't your choice. At some point in life, I didn't look at my life and go, well, a slave to sin, a slave to Christ, uh, let's see, eternal burning in hell or eternal bliss in heaven. Ah, I think I'll pick this one. I never did that. God came and basically opened my eyes to the truth, to the simple fact that, you know what? You can do all you want, Steve. You can be as good as you want to be. You're never going to be good enough. And until you come to the point in your life where you're willing to cry out to me, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Help me, save me. Do whatever you have to do to me. I don't want to go to hell. That's the heart that God can change. That's the heart he will change. Because you've exhausted all human effort. That's what has to happen before you're saved. You have to exhaust all human effort. Because it's not about just obeying. That doesn't save you. That's a result of your salvation. So many Christians have this wrong. They think that if they only do this, this, and this, somehow that's going to lead to salvation. And that's not the way we're saved. If you have any question about that, you don't understand Ephesians 2, which says that we're created in Christ Jesus, what? Onto good works, which God has beforehand kind of put out, he ordained that we should what? Walk in them as believers. So there, it's a result of our salvation. Salvation is on to good works. And so Paul's dealing with this. He's dealing here with a, a state, a fact. Uh, not something, he's not telling us to be a, a slave to Christ. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, if you are in Christ, you are a slave to Christ. You don't have any choice. Lest you leave here today, if you're not in Christ, and say, well, the pastor said I have to become a slave to Christ. So I'm just going to try to will my way. No, it's not going to work. What has to happen? You have to be transformed. You have to be changed by God's divine power. That's the only people that are saved. You say, well, are you saying that everybody who is saved is transformed by God's power? That's exactly what I'm saying. If they're not transformed, they're not saved. It's real simple. And that's what the first 14 verses showed us. It showed us this transformation through the figure of death and resurrection. And now he's saying, I've got to show this picture to you again through the analogy of slavery and actually in chapter 7 of Romans he does the whole thing over again with a picture of marriage (laughs) and we'll get to that but he wants us to understand that we are a new creation in Christ this isn't just something that we have to do we have to obey in order to get that's not what he's saying and even though We are in the presence of our bodies, even though we still possess the flesh, even though we can only experience this imperfect holiness that we have now in our our Christian lives. Our desire is to obey. We must obey. Colossians chapter 1 verse 21 says this, And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds... 
He has now reconciled in his body the flesh of his, uh, in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you, what? Holy and blameless and above reproach in him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable, steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all of creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. You know, a lot of people unfortunately today believe that certain people are saved when their life does not depict salvation. So they've relegated them to this category called, well, they're a carnal Christian. Okay. I don't see that category. I mean, other times as Christians, we listen to our flesh or yeah, we do the wrong thing. Definitely. But as a way of life, our desire should be to obey him, to serve him. That's what we're called to do. And I think that mentality comes from the whole evangelistic thrust of the 50s onward in our country. Where the whole message was not that you have to become undone, but somehow if you just understand that, 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 that Jesus is the Savior, and somehow if you just pray this prayer and you make him your Lord, then, you know, you can come to Jesus as your Savior, and then you straighten out all the Lordship stuff later. Some people would say that sounds like, and this is kind of a Christianese little word that people use, lordship salvation. Are you preaching lordship salvation? I'm not only preaching it, that's what the word of God teaches. How, what other salvation would there be? I mean, either Jesus is Lord or he's not. You can call it whatever you want. But you can't come to Jesus as your Savior and then say, well, I'll make him my Lord later. I'm just going to continue to do what I want to do for a couple years until I get, sow my wild oats and, you know, I'll go to church and, and live like the devil the rest of the week because I'm, you know, I'm not really there yet. And Well, you're not saved. If that's your attitude, you're not saved. You need to come back and you need to kind of refocus on your whole business of salvation. Forget about the discipleship. Forget about the theology. Forget about everything else. You have to come to the end of yourself and realize that, you know what? You are lost in your sin and you are going to come under the judgment of a holy God one day in a place called hell unless you come to Christ. That's the bottom line. Paul doesn't leave any wiggle room there. Well, the third point here, the only way that you can change from being a slave of sin to being a slave of righteousness is for God to free you from your sin by changing your heart. That's what he says in verse 17 to 18. But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became what? Obedient in action? No. Obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. And you were freed from sin and became slaves of righteousness. He describes this change that happens to someone who puts their trust, their faith in Christ. And these changes happen to everyone who are saved. They're radical changes. They're not minor changes. I mean, when you talk about being a slave to sin, and then you become obedient from the heart to sound teaching and a slave to righteousness, that's a radical change. From being in bondage to sin to being a slave and free to serve God in righteousness. That's a radical change. There was a change in what? In who their master was. There was a change in the lordship. Before it was Satan's dominion. It was Satan's power over them. It was sin that held them captive. But now as they come into Christ and they've trusted in Christ and the work of Christ. That God has 
place them under God's dominion of righteousness through Christ. It's a change of thinking. All of a sudden, they're willing to submit to biblical truth. That happens to everyone who comes to Christ. First desire for me when I became a Christian was, well, what does this book say? I got to figure it out. So I had an old King James Bible, and I'd take it to college, and I started reading it, and the Holy Spirit gave me some wisdom, and with the help of a little local Baptist church, God started to put the piece of the puzzle together for me. But there was a desire. There was a change of will. All of a sudden, it didn't matter what I wanted to do. You know, I wanted to be a police officer. I wanted to go finish my degree in criminology. All of a sudden, God changed everything up on me. I didn't know where it was going. I didn't have a desire to be a pastor at that point. I just knew that I wanted to know more about God and, and this new thing called salvation. And, and I was kind of ticked off the Catholic Church. So I thought, well, I'm going to go become a priest. And then I'll expose everything that the church teaches that's not biblical. And a local pastor said, that's probably not the best idea for you to do that. That would be kind of deceptive at best. Maybe you need to go to a Bible college. And I was like, what's that? And he gave me some things. And I ended up at a college. And God worked through many years of just saying, here, just follow me step by step. There was no big plan. Because there was a change of will. For the first time, I just want to do what God wanted me to do. But that's the move to... Indio, California, in 130-degree weather in a place where golf is God, and I hate golf, playing golf anyway in that kind of heat. I mean, you know, I was there for five years. I never played a round of golf. Down there, Palm Springs area. Went to the driving range a couple times, but... Why? Because there was a change of will. There was a change of desire. Salvation, first point here under this, is neither a human project nor a joint human divine project. Get that through your head. Rather, salvation is of the Lord. See, slaves of sin are not able to free themselves by their own efforts. As a matter of fact, slaves of sin don't often realize that they're slaves of anyone. (laughs) So they usually resent being told that they're a slave to sin, but that's what the Bible tells us. Jesus even told the Jews in in John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32, If you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will what? Set you free. And their response in verse 8 of uh, John there, John chapter 8, verse 33, We are Abraham's descendants and have never yet been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? How short-sighted they were, right? They'd just been enslaved in Egypt for over 400 years. And they had the guts to stand there in front of the Lord and say, what are you talking about, slave? We've never been enslaved to anyone. See how blinding sin is? And Jesus goes on and he makes it clear what he was talking about, slavery to sin, to be freed from that cruel master that the son would have to make you free. And when he says there in verse 18 of chapter 6, freed from sin... He uses a verb that's of the passive nature in the original Greek. In other words, what's that mean is you have no part in this. It's something that somebody does for you. You're just kind of passive about the whole thing. Only God alone can free us from the bondage of sin. It's not a joint project where he gives us a boost and then we contribute our share. It doesn't work that way. That's why he says in verse 17, who does he thank? But thanks be to who? God. Why? Because God's the one that did this. God's the one that gave us our salvation. He doesn't say, thanks be to God, but you guys deserve some credit. (laughs) You know, you've kind of figured it out and, you know, you did the prayer thing and you're trying to live. No, he said, no, thanks be to God. 
As a matter of fact, Paul even goes further in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. He says that, that we are saved because God chose us as what? The foolish, the weak, the lowly, the despised sinners. That he might shame the world's wise, mighty, and the exalted. So that no one may boast when they go before the Lord. Salvation is totally God's doing, not ours. Secondly, the way God changes us is by bringing our mind, our heart, will into submission to his word. Martin Lloyd-Jones has a chapter in his book, Spiritual Depression, Its Causes and Cures. He says, I can only skim the surface, so I, I, refer, to, I refer you to this, his many excellent insights that I have gleaned from. First, note that God changes us by bringing our minds under the teaching of his word. Scholars debate over why Paul says form or example pattern of teaching rather than teaching. He's referring to the kind of teaching that he set forth here in Romans. But God does not just change our minds to conform to sound, date, sound teaching. He also changes our hearts. I mean, there's a lot of scholars, biblical scholars that sit in seminaries that can dissect the Hebrew and the Greek and tell you everything you need to know about the Bible. But they've never been converted. <laughs> they've never been touched in the heart. They've never been transformed by God's holy power. Jonathan Edwards says this, True religion in great part contra consists in holy affections. In other words, God changes our hearts and our desires. Thirdly there, the teaching is not committed to the Christians. You notice that in verse 17. He doesn't say, oh, here, this teaching, I'm going to commit it to you. No, he says, but rather the Christians are committed to the teaching. It's not the teaching that's committed to the Christians. It's Christians that are committed to the teaching. The old King James says it that way, and unfortunately it's wrong. It says, to which you were committed. And that lines up with what Paul is telling us. That we bring ourselves, our thoughts, our minds, our actions under the authority of God's word. That's why when someone stands behind this pulpit on a given Sunday, they're opening up God's holy word and they're telling you, hopefully, what it says. They're not up here, you know, telling you Mary had a little lamb, its fleece was white as snow. That's not going to do you any good. Fourthly, when God saves you, he frees you from sin and makes you a slave of righteousness. I'm not going to belabor this point. It's right there in the text. Verse 18, and having been freed from sin, you became a slave of righteousness. Something that was done on your behalf, it's not that you did it. So it's your state. So either you are enslaved to sin or you're slave to righteousness. And this is not true of just the people who had some dramatic experience at their salvation. This is true of every Christian who is truly born again, who is truly saved by the blood of Christ. I'll close with this little story about a bazaar in a village in India. And a farmer, he brought this group of quail. And uh, each bird had a little string tied around its foot. And on the other end, to a ring that was kind of on this upright stick that he put in the ground. And these quail would walk around in a circle. they just follow each other. they just go round, around, around. That's all they do. Because they were held captive by the string. And no one wanted to buy any quail that day until later in the day there was a Hindu Brahmin who came along. And he had a religious respect for all kinds of life. 
And so he said to the merchant, I want to buy all your quail. And the merchant said, really? He said, yeah. Gave him the money. He said, okay, well, how do you want them, you know, packaged up or prepared? He goes, no, I just cut the string and set them free. And the farmer kind of looked at him, okay, you gave me the money. So he cut the string. You know what the quail continued to do? And march around a circle. And the Brahma was kind of frustrated. He's like, well, you know, he kind of scooted him away and they kind of went down half a block and continued around the circle. As if they were still tied to that stick by that string. They were free to do whatever they wanted to do. See, God did not free us as Christians from sin so that we would just keep going and on. Same old circle. Still bound by this imaginative power that Satan wants to believe has dominion in our lives when it doesn't. He freed us from sin so that you could become a slave of obedience to him resulting in righteousness. Remember, beloved, you have to serve somebody. The question is, who are you serving? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that it's truth. And sometimes, Lord, it's, it's convicting. And Lord, we pray that we would uh, be able to put our arms and our minds around what we've learned and and Lord, help us to live a life that is honoring to you each and every day. Lord, you, you've called us to obedience as Christians. There's no excuse. There's, there's nothing we can bring before you to say, well, this was what happened in my life and this is why I do this. No, we're new creation in Christ. All things have become new. All things have fallen away. Everything's become new. And we thank you for that. We thank you that you didn't leave us with an old nature and a new nature, trying to decide which one are we going to believe, which one are we going to listen to. But Lord, that, that old self is gone, it's buried. It's not going to live anymore. And Lord, we thank you that you recreated us in Christ and for the first time we can do what you desire us to do. We don't have to listen to sin. We don't have to obey it as our master because he's not our master. Sin, Satan, is not our master. Christ is, if we're truly converted. And our allegiance is to obey him and his word. If any here has yet to put their faith or trust in Christ, I pray that you would do that work of drawing. Lord, your, your word says that the Father draws us to himself through Christ. I pray that you would do that work, that you would show them their need of a Savior. Pray that they would cry out to you, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Help me to understand what this man's saying. Help me to understand the salvation that he's talking about. Because I truly want to be free from my sin. Only Christ can do that for you. He'll do that for you right now. If you pray that prayer, if you cry out from your heart, that's a desire, Lord. He will, he will answer that prayer for you. Recreate you in Christ. Father, we thank you. We pray that you would bless our time and the fellowship time afterwards. Bless the food as well. Just uh, give us a good day. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you for spending time with us here today on Graceful Truth, the ministry of Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. It's our prayer here at Graceful Truth that God would reveal His grace to your hearts through the teaching of His Word each week. And we trust you're currently involved in a Bible teaching church in your area. If not, we'd love to have you come and visit us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We meet each Sunday morning for our praise and worship service at 10 a.m., 
We offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children up to grade five. And if you would like to encourage us here at Graceful Truth, please give us a call at Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. Our phone number is 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. We meet at 2225 Euclid Avenue here in Redwood City. Directions are on our website, gracefultruth.org, or again, simply call 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. And again, we'd love to have you join us for worship. Simply call for directions or go to our website, gracefultruth.org. While you're at our website, make sure to check out the resource materials available from us here at Graceful Truth, including past programs of Graceful Truth that you can download for free. Gracefultruth.org is where to go. And while you're at our website, don't forget to download our mobile app, new and improved and ready to use, whether you're securely donating online or taking advantage of the podcasts on your mobile phone, simply go to iTunes or Google Play and look for Grace Bible Church Redwood City-CA. Or stop by our website, gracefultruth.org, and follow the prompts. If you're writing to us, our address is 2225 Euclid Avenue. That's 2225 Euclid Avenue. We're here in Redwood City. The zip code is 94061. And again, our phone number is 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. We thank you for spending time with us today and trust we'll see you next week at this same time for another broadcast of Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse.